Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the line, we have Secretary of Education Pedro Rivera. We also have um, a number of our, some of our staff listening in. Uh, I'm going to ask, the way I'm going to do this is how I did it last time. I'm going to go down the list of reporters as they RSVP'd. We do have a large number of reporters, so I'm going to ask that we keep questions to one, one question per reporter. And we'll try and move this along. We have a stop time of about 11.45. Please, as a reminder, please mute your microphones so that we can move along without distractions. And again, just be patient with us as we're moving through this. Uh, Secretary Rivera, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, Jan Murphy, you are our first question. Are you on the line? I am. Okay. Uh, you lead us off. Hi. Okay. Hi, Secretary. And I'm sorry. Hi, Jen. Sorry that um, I am only limited to one question. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that others ask the other questions I have. But um, I was just wondering if you could um, share with us any guidance that you're giving school districts with regard to budgeting for the 2020-2021 school year and, uh, you know, the property tax, how to deal with property tax and increases and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a great question, Jan. So, so we, as you know, um, you know, as we continue to share and you hear, the, these times are absolutely unprecedented. And in many cases, we've been creating guidance for schools um, real time that don't exist. Everything from food and nutrition, education, you know, providing other services. So we have not yet and don't know at what point would we provide guidance around the 2020-2021 budget. We're really trying to provide as much guidance as we can to school districts for for the 2019-2020 school year. Um, so no, so no, we have not done that yet. But what I will share is, you know, we continue to hear conversations um, around, uh, you know, the the, the need um, of local property taxes. I mean, ultimately, that's a decision that uh, the General Assembly and, and the governor would make. But but I do think this is an opportunity for for me to share with you and you know and your colleagues. Um, schools are are still operating, although they don't look. Um, uh, you know the same as they looked, uh, uh, you know, a month, or, you know, a month or two ago. But I think it's important to realize that schools all across the Commonwealth are working on providing continuity of education um, to their students in in, in a new fashion, providing education. Um, schools across the Commonwealth are still um, feeding their children, providing opportunities for uh, for uh, community members and food to and and uh, students to receive uh, to receive meals. Schools across the Commonwealth are building new infrastructure to um, to support online learning. Um, we are hearing instances of uh, mental health support and and you know other types of support. So schools and and many of the professionals within those buildings are still functioning and serving communities. So it's it's not um, you know we just want to make you know you want to use this as an opportunity to chip away at the misnomer that teachers are at home sitting and doing nothing. They're you know they're working in new and innovative ways, and in many cases. Um, it's it's even a longer day than they engaged in before. 
Thanks, Jan. Um, one more reminder, whoever just sneezed on our call, we heard you. If you could please uh, mute your microphones. Uh, the next question is from Avi. Are you on the phone, Avi? Yeah, can you hear me? I can, go ahead. Yeah, Secretary Rivera, what is the guidance for uh, school districts in terms of serving students with special needs, specifically those that whose IEPs would require typically some sort of in-person interaction to fulfill to completion. What is the guidance for uh, school districts um, uh, for special education students? Yeah, so as we've been pushing out a continuity of education guidance to school districts, what we've asked for each and every school district to do um, is, is to really look to adapt and provide reasonable and appropriate co accommodations for those students. Um, now we know that as we continue to, to you know, enrich and, and provide support to school districts, there's going to be, um, you know, ongoing conversation around, um, you know, how we can best meet their needs. You know, I also have to, to you know, take a moment to mention here in, in that in that space, um, school districts, um, our intermediate units, um, our patent systems have even gone the next level to provide um, video type of instruction and and uh, strategies for parents. Um, to provide, uh, you know, differentiated types of, of learning opportunities for students at home, especially with, you know, for those with special needs. So whereas we're focusing on providing reasonable and appropriate accommodations, school districts are, are then differentiating their learning plans of, um, around the needs of students. But we're also going out there and trying to provide, um, you know, different types of, um, of resources, both, uh, you know, through YouTube videos and, and uh, other components of, uh, of learning plans as well. And, and I also think it's important, you know, as, as you know, as school districts are doing, but as we're as reporting out on this and providing, um, you know, some, um, you know, feedback and, and direction, um, school districts are and should be um, in continued communication with families um, throughout the process. Some of those relationships and that access is key. And parents, are, you know, if not being done, parents are absolutely um, encouraged to to maintain that communication with them um, with their schools and the educators. Our next question is going to be from Fox 43 in Harrisburg, followed by Mark Guidish from the Wilkes-Barre paper. Uh, do we have a reporter from Fox on the line? Brian Long with Fox 43 here. Thank you guys for taking the time today. Um, Go going Go going, uh, hey there. Going forward um, into even the immediate future as this uh, is, is or has been uh, ordered closed for the rest of the year, into the summer months and beyond, what is the biggest challenge uh, facing uh, school administrators across the Commonwealth and uh, parents and teachers as well that you think is our next step that we're going to try and, and mitigate going forward? Uh, there, there, there are absolutely lots of challenges. Um, probably the biggest challenge we, we hear and we're facing right now is, um, is, is connecting students to the resources that they need to, to continue education. Um, you know, and I'll probably mention this a few times over the call, but, you know, I've set a really strong and high expectation that schools continue to provide educational opportunities for students across the Commonwealth. Um, this is absolutely not a day off, you know, for students uh, as we deal and, and work through this pandemic. Um, we have a, a, a legal and a moral responsibility to provide um, educational support and educational resources to the students we serve each and every day. So, so the biggest challenge is going to be how do we provide not only the instruction to our kids, but how do we provide the resources that they need to, to continue and maintain that continuity of instruction? 
um, for parents, one of the lessons that I think we're, we're hearing from them and the resources that are they asking for is, you know, how do we maintain um, positive, uh, you know, a positive uh, learning environment for our kids at home? I mean, some, some parents um, have actually reached out to, to their educators and said, you know, how do I get my kid to, to actually engage in learning and um, address some of their learning uh, poor behaviors now that they're home? And, and so, you know, it, it's not only an opportunity for, for educators to enrich what they're doing, but it's also an opportunity now for parents to see exactly firsthand all that goes into supporting students in their learning. And so not only are we supporting students right now in that space, teachers across the Commonwealth are supporting parents around how they can better, you know, serve and support their kids at home. Our next question is from uh, Mark Guidish, followed by Sarah at the Scranton Times. Mark, are you on the phone? Yeah, I'm here. Good. I, I, we have one district so far that has announced the graduation at a drive-in drive theater. Have you provided guidance or going to provide guidance regarding graduation requirements and uh, issues related to the graduation uh, and uh, in a timely way so that the uh, students who have plans for the summer for college can move forward? Yeah, Mark, that's a, this is a great opportunity to share distinction for parents that is extremely important. There, you, we can make a distinction, and, and school districts are making distinctions around graduation, the formal uh, process of graduation, and then the commencement exercise that, um, you know, that, uh, that accompanies graduation. So, you know, what we've been doing is supporting schools and, and, and you know, and through the intermediate units, um, providing guidance around how do we maintain and meet the expectations for graduation. We, you know, we expect that we are going to work to ensure that every student receives the opportunities and the resources that they need to graduate this year. So graduating seniors should not fear, uh, you know, being held back because of this pandemic um, specifically. Now, um, when you think of, uh, you know, specifically the school districts that are already scheduling um, uh, commencement exercises in a drive-in theater, um, to maintain social distance or commencement exercises online or commencement exercises in, in a, you know, through a various uh, multitude of, of uh, you know, platforms, school districts can do that as long as they adhere to whatever at that time um, the governor and the secretary of, of health guidance going to be around social distancing. But, you know, I think, you know, as parents think about it, the commencement exercise is a culminating activity. It, it will not uh, impact whether or not the students receive the resources and the supports they need to graduate from high school and receive a diploma. And we're working on students who are working towards industry certificates and other credentialing as well. Our next question is from Sarah at the Scranton Times, followed by Jolie Long from WGAL. Sarah, are you on the line? Yes, good morning. Uh, some districts here are starting to move from just um, in review and enrichment to actually teaching new material uh, to students. Will PDE require that of all districts at some point here? So, PD, so, so yes. So here at PDE, uh, we are requiring that schools submit and post by law, post their continuity of education plans online for the full community to see. What we have done, we've set a strong expectation to our school districts that they look and find ways to provide instruction. Um, you know, providing continuity, you know, through that continuity of education plan, if they're going to look at 
um, you know, providing a, a few months of, of just review and enrichment, that's not enough to ensure our kids are, re- are receiving the resources that they need to be successful going into the next academic year. So my expectation is, and the expectation of the department, is that they provide ongoing instruction and that they pro- they submit those um, those those uh, reports to us, they submit the plans to us, and post them so that parents know exactly what's um, you know what their school district should be providing to their kids. Our next question is from WGAL, followed by Jennifer from KDKA Radio. Uh, just as a reminder, if you're not if you're not on, please mute your microphones. Jolie, are you on? Yes, we're here. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, I guess our question that we're wondering is, I heard you talk about graduation, but for younger grades, how are you going to move everybody on? Is everybody just going to pass and move on to the next grade, or how is that all going to be handled for younger students? Yeah. Um, great question, Jolie. I, you know, I think first and, and, and foremost, what we're focusing on is providing that continuity of education, um, waiting the hours and the days, and ensuring that this pandemic doesn't have a, na- a negative effect on the students in schools. Now, at the local level, um, school districts are working, um, you know, to identify ways to to kind of to ensure and show, um, you know, how students ha- have shown mastery um, or learning of that content. We've heard um, as part of the plan, school districts have identified using third quarter grades. School districts have identified collecting portfolios in some of the upper grades. School districts have identified um, the teacher feedback as they engage with students, um, you know, at, at their local level. So, so many of those strategies are being identified by the school districts themselves. What we're doing is setting the conditions so that schools understand that the pandemic should not and will not be the factor, um, you know, in making that decision. I think we, we want to make sure that their plans are focused on uh, providing educational pathways to, to students uh, for the remainder of the school year. Our next question is from Jennifer at KDKA Radio, followed by John Finnerty. Um, as a reminder, I can hear somebody's door opening and shutting. So if we can mute microphones, please. Jennifer, are you on? KD, KDKA Radio from Pittsburgh. All right, we're going to move on. John Finnerty, are you on? Yeah, I'm here. All right, John, you're yeah. up. Yes, Secretary. I, I, I know the last time we did a press call, you kind of talked about leaning on the IUs to kind of help sort out some of the data, I mean, not the data, the technology of how to connect it. But I wonder if you can kind of describe how confident you are that districts across the state, whether rural or, or urban, are really in a position to really deliver education online at this point. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great question, John. I think, so first and, and foremost, we, we are... Um, and I want to be respectful to, to your question. I think a few folks are having difficulty with mute. Um, so I think first and foremost, as we look at um, our continuity of education plans and the role the IUs are playing, that we've already started to see some really promising data. Um, you know, so first, a little over 300 school districts have already submitted their continuity of education plans. So we see some real thoughtful, um, uh, thoughtful plans coming, um, you know, coming into the district. Um, Secondly, uh, you know, a little over 200 um, school districts have participated and signed up for uh, the online platforms that we're making available to them free of charge to use through, through the intermediate unit. So, um, you know, a couple hundred, over a couple hundred school districts are already signing up for that platform. Um, we already are starting to see a lot of buzz around the equity grants 
that we put in place for school districts that may not have the resources needed to provide, um, you know, services to their kids with, with the support of the General Assembly and through, you know, and, and, and the governor, uh, we provided $5 million. We're going to provide $5 million of equity grants for school districts that just need the additional resources, um, you know, to, to make ends meet and provide for their kids. And school districts are already um, applying for those funds and showing real innovative practice. And, and then I also want to mention there still are some school districts out there that don't have um, that last mile connectivity. And, you know, part of the resources that we're supporting them and providing around that is how, do, how can they get uh, paper and pencil options to their students. And even through an amazing partnership with PBS, um, where, you know, across the state, we're offering um, television um, lessons um, at, at, different, at the different grade levels for students um, to just tune in um, and learn and engage. So, you know, one of the, one of the positive things about this and, and us providing continuity of education is that multiple partners have stepped up, um, you know, online providers and resources, uh, paper pencil providers and resources, and even our television providers through PBS to, to become partners to serve kids. Our next question is from Stacy Wilson from the Susquehanna County Independent, followed by Jackie at the morning call. Stacy, are you on? Stacy Wilson. I'm going to move on. Jackie, are you on? I am. All right. Um, go. Okay, thanks. Um, I'm just wondering, we have um, a lot of suburban districts in the Lehigh Valley that have already moved to remote learning, and they've been doing remote learning for weeks. Um, but the Allentown School District is still just doing voluntary enrichment, mostly on pen and paper. Um, so I'm just wondering, is there any concern that the achievement gap is going to widen between um, students that are white and black and Hispanic students? Yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a great question, Jack. I mean, that, that um, you know, that achievement gap, that access and, and equity gap is exactly why I've been, I've been aggressive. And you're giving me an opportunity to, to again hear, you know, aggressively state that it is the expectation of my expectation as secretary and an expectation of the Department of Education that schools provide instruction moving forward. And not only that they provide instruction for, for our sake, for the submission of the plan, but, you know, really to ensure that, that we don't see, you know, if we talk about a summer slide, this is a multiple, you know, month slide, and we don't see that happening. And so by them putting their plans online for public inspection and for every parent to see, not only are they held accountable to the Department of Ed, but they're held accountable to their parents, and they should be providing instruction moving forward. Our next question will be from uh, Zach at CBS 21 in Harrisburg, followed by Tegan from the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. Uh, just a reminder, we are recording. We are recording this, and we'll make it available. Uh, please mute your microphones when you're not speaking. Zach, are you on? Or do we have someone from CBS 21? Yeah, this is Michael from CBS 21. Wondering, um, budget-wise, besides the five million dollar equity grant, are there any other financial resources that the state is offering to districts to offset some of? Uh, some of the rising costs that they're going to see with, uh, especially with technology. Yeah, uh, so, so Michael, thanks. I think first I, it's important to mention that um, the online platform that we mentioned that, that is made available through the IUs um, to the districts is, is free. Uh, we're covering the cost of every student. We're, we're covering the cost for um, the LEAs that want to participate in, in one of two platforms, and that is at no cost to the district. Uh, secondly, the $5 million, which you mentioned, so, so you know about, um, you know, and lastly, that those are the first, um, you know, in response to, um, 
it's a conversation and need that this is our first round of, of what we're pushing out to students. We're still waiting on guidance from um, the U.S. Department of Education to um, to communicate with school districts what their federal what federal funds will look like and, and how they might how they'll be supported through um, through the federal grants that are coming through. But it is fully our intent and, the, and through the support of the governor um, that the, the education funding that we have moving out there is going to be uh, focused on meeting the needs of students and, and mitigating, um, you know, whatever hardships are created are created through this pandemic. Our next question is from Tegan from the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, followed by Kristen uh, from the Fox affiliate out of the Sharon Youngstown market. Tegan, are you on the phone? Yes, I am. Thank you. Okay. Um, my question is, so, so we know that districts are expected to move forward with continuity of education plans in making good faith efforts to serve all their students. If school districts are hypothetically unable to serve students with IEPs or other special needs, could they potentially be penalized for um, not complying with IDEA? So, so I think when, when you look specifically uh, at um, compliance with IDEA, there, there are a number of strategies we're employing. I mean, this is exactly you know where our intermediate units, our patent systems are really good partners because they're working with school districts um, you know, to look at how we can differentiate instruction for students with special needs. Um, and um, you know what types of services can be provided remotely, um, electronically, and and you know just meet their needs. So first and foremost, we've been focused on not not just compliance, but meeting the academic needs of of students in in as best differentiated manner as possible. So we've been focused on kids first. Um, I think when we come back and and you know when when students are back to school and and you know the dust settles and we're looking at. Um, whether or not we were able to meet the, the, the mandates of the student's IEP, that's when, when time will tell. Um, and, uh, you know, as I know, having been a district leader and I know school districts across the Commonwealth, as, as they continue to work on the relationships and provide education in good faith, when they come back and, and have those conversations with parents, they'll, they'll ask, you know, and, and they'll engage in the IEP review um, or the NORAP review. How do, we, how do we make up for this instruction if any instruction was lost? How we can pro how can we provide resources to those students, and those relationships and conversations will lessen and mitigate the need, um, you know, for for you know for for litigious reaction. And so I think you know ultimately at the end of the day, and in, in, in most cases, um, coming back and having the IEP NORAP conversation and maintaining the relationship and doing right by kids will reduce the number of lawsuits across the Commonwealth. Thank you Our next question is from Kristen, followed by Dave at the Reading Eagle. Kristen, are you on? Uh, not Kristen. My name is Jerry Ricciuti. We're with the ABC, CBS, and Fox affiliates in Youngstown, Ohio, but we cover Mercer and Lawrence counties. Yeah. Okay, Secretary, go ahead. Thank you. Go ahead. Secretary, explain a little bit more of the, the thought process that went into the decision this morning, the release that came out from Governor Wolf to close through the rest of the year, because what we're hearing is as things open back up again, people are going to feel unsafe going back to school. If they don't feel the schools at that point are safe, how do we know that between now and the beginning of the next school year that districts are going to be ready to open up, open up again with open arms to welcome their kids back? Yeah. So, um, so Jerry, I think you know. First and foremost, the, the decision to close schools today were, were based on, on 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 a number of factors. I mean, many different factors. 
Um, you know, of course, we consulted Dr. Levine from, from the Department of Health, the Secretary of Health, and we track along with her data um, quite closely. And, and, you know, as the governor's been making his announcements, we've been looking at the number of cases, um, you know, the number, uh, the number of deaths and, and the impact, the geographic impact, um, you know, of, uh, of, of our COVID-19 um, heat map. And so, you know, when we, as we were making these decisions, we had to be responsible um, around, you know, to social distancing and, and what the implications of our decisions to go back to school would mean for the greater community and the students that we serve um, each and every day. So looking at the number of cases, realizing that we're, we're, we continue to see the rise as Dr. Bean has mentioned, and we are now, um, you know, we're, we're well into April. Um, the amount of time it would take for us to bring students for their arrival um, and to have the available resources for them, there's no way schools would be able to, to prepare to accept schools this academic year. And just based on the feedback they've been providing us, um, they needed the time and the direction to focus on continuity of education, to focus on the feeding programs, to focus on uh, feeding the social-emotional needs of students, whether home and, and pivoting. Um, the way they needed to. So that's why we chose to make that decision today, um, you know, with, with direction from the governor and the secretary of health. Now, I, what I can tell you is while, while superintendents are working on providing continuity of education and, and <coughs> that I mentioned earlier, um, they, they are also um, doing so through the lens of what will school look like, um, you know, next year when, when students return. Know that these times, the infrastructure that we're putting in place around, you know, for schools today aren't going to end after, after COVID-19. With the, with the new robust system, you know, of, of, of online learning we, we put in place, with the resources we put in place, um, you know, for schools to um, support students at home, you know, when we're looking at FIDS submission, um, the flexible instructional based submissions, this is going to change the, the, you know, the educational landscape in Pennsylvania for generations to come. So, you know, while we're looking to, to focus and address this, this, this pandemic, we're also evolving as an education system to better serve our kids. Our next question is going to be from Dave. Again, uh, please help us out here. Whoever the individual is on the phone who just sneezed and just coughed, uh, we can hear you. If you can please mute your microphone. Uh, Dave from the Reading Eagle, followed by Sarah at WESA Public Radio. Dave, are you on the phone? Yes. Hi. Uh, hi, Secretary. Um, my question is, um, the way that these closures have been rolled out here in Pennsylvania, you know, first two weeks and extending it and then extending indefinitely and now for the whole school year, um, there have been other handful of other states who shut down for the entire school year, you know, weeks ago. Um, do you feel the way that this was rolled out may have put some districts um, uh, somewhat behind in preparing for, uh, you know, continuity of education plans because they were assuming that schools would, would eventually open up again? Yeah, so that's a good question, Dave. I, I think, well, first, um, in, the, in the way we rolled out or, or schools were identified as closed for, um, you know, for a couple of weeks and then, um, uh, you know, a few more and then looking at, um, you know, more extended periods of time, it, it really was because of the data. When we closed schools the first time, it was a result um, of a concentrated number of, of incidents in counties and, and closing down those counties and then the impact um, of the closure of the county to, to surrounding school districts. 
Um, so, you know, we were, you know, we remained hopeful, like most states at the beginning, um, that they, we were, look, we were, you know, identifying isolated cases and, and that we would be able to mitigate, um, you know, those cases or, or you know, kind of, um, con, you know, keep it, you know, consolidated in specific areas. And as we started to see the number of cases grow geographically and the impact um, on those com on those communities, um, we, we increased both the number, um, you know, the number of counties and then the time um, you know, the time in which school districts were, were, I hear a little bit of an echo, someone's not on mute, uh, and the time that school districts, um, you know, were expected to close. Why we made this decision now is because we felt that we were in a place um, that we, in which we had to make decision based on the, on the school calendar, but also in a place that we have a very robust, um, you know, process for continuity of education. And so we engaged the 29 intermediate units to, to provide that direct um, that direct support, which ultimately could kind of um, you know break that 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 divide that you shared around preparedness. I don't know if there's any other state um, that has provided the level um, you know of support to school districts that we had. I mean, free online subscriptions, um, reaching out to every school district through the intermediate units, providing uh, paper print. And um, partnering with PBS to provide instruction over over the television, um, you know, we really we really tackled this through the educator lens and continue to provide um, you know opportunities for you know for our school districts to, to have every resource they need to be successful. Our next question is from Sarah, followed by Alex at the Lancaster Paper. Sarah, are you on? Yeah, um, my question is, how are you holding schools accountable for moving to remote learning and? making sure that they're posting those continuity of education plans. So, you know, a lot of accountability is really the influence of, of, uh, of, two, of two parties, right? So the first party is the Department of Education. So as we receive and we review, um, you know, those, um, the continuity of education plans, we'll provide feedback um, if we have concerns accordingly. The, the second is local accountability. Um, school districts have to, have to post these plans online. So, so local, the local community parents, uh, you know, advocates, uh, you know, uh, local leaders are going to have access to, to the plan because they're posted online. And, and trust me, as a former superintendent, there's no better influence than a parent, um, you know, or a local leader looking at your plan online and then asking, um, why are you doing X or why are you not doing Y? And so that accountability is both through the, the, the influence and the relationship with the department, but more importantly, um, the, the relationship and the expectations by the local community. Our next question from Alex, followed by Ted Lutz at the Kane Republican. Alex, are you on? Hi, yes. Thank you very much. Um, I was wondering how, uh, Secretary, how schools are expected to track attendance and, and how they're uh, uh, if there are any recommendations as to uh, reaching out to kids who have haven't logged on for long periods of time and that sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, attendance and admission. Um, so we've opened up that schools should be mindful of attendance and admission. However, all of uh, the process by which they do so is, is strictly local, locally driven, um, because we know that the process that they collect and, and the maintain attendance today is, is, is locally driven. So there is no way uh, for the for the department to provide guidance for 
um, 700 unique, um, you know, different ways that, that LEAs across the Commonwealth, um, you know, uh, monitor, engage, and then respond accordingly to attendance. However, in our guidance, we did put out there that it is one of the factors, you know, if you wanted to create a checklist around factors that should be taken into consideration, um, it is one of the factors that, that we have posted. And this is also one of the areas that the intermediate units can serve as a, as a great resource because they have access to multiple school districts. They can identify and provide best practice any district that's having a hard time um, you know, engaging in the scenario that you just mentioned, Alex. Our next question is from Ted, followed by Lindsay at the York Dispatch. Ted, are you on? Ted Lutz from the Kane Republican. Lindsay, are you on? Lindsay from the York Dispatch? Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay, um, I don't know if um, if I missed this yet or not, but um, I, I heard that there was a property tax freeze bill um, possibly floating around in the house. Um, and I know that um, one district at least that I talked to in York County was, you know, wondering what that would mean if it passed, if that would be something that would be hard to reverse um, or if it would just be temporary. And I was just wondering if PDE would support um, something like that. So, so Lindsay, um, you know, the property tax conversation and the introduction of property tax bills is, is, is way above, um, you know, what we engage in, uh, you know, day to day at the Department of Ed. I mean, ultimately, that's the General Assembly and the governor have to make that decision. I think, you know, the, the consideration that I would give, and I don't, I want to be mindful of everyone's time, um, is, is pretty much the, the, you know, what I shared at the opening of, of this call, school districts and school personnel. Um, all across the state, in, in most cases, are still working hard, and in many cases, putting in many hours than they than they traditionally do during a, a normal, you know, school day and school year. So I think the misnomer that um, during this pandemic, schools uh, with school closure, personnel isn't working, and, and kids aren't learning and being and being educated. So, so my my big uh, point of consideration to um, to local taxpayers, to the general assembly, to the governor would be, um, we we still have school district personnel working not only to educate but to feed, to provide mental health support, to provide parent support, to provide a whole differentiated type of support for our students, and most are stepping up and doing it well beyond their day and well beyond their duties. And so we just want to make sure that we can continue to compensate them accordingly. Our next question is from Tom Ford from Mount Pocono region, followed by Katie Anderson. Tom, are you on? Yes, I am. Thank you. Go ahead. Secretary, I'm interested in how the PDE is going to enforce both the in attendance and um, um, ongoing instruction in our community. The prevailing feeling, speaking with parents and, and students, is that participation in the online uh, material that the district is making available is voluntary. Um, and the district announced today after the closure order that the rest of the year they would continue doing what they've been doing, which is providing um, enrichment and, and guided learning. Um, how is the PDE looking at the districts like this and enforcing the attendance and the ongoing instruction requirements? Yeah, so so Tom, you're you're going to help me out in your community here with with uh, you know with my message around this. I, I think first, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, attendance it, you know will be driven locally, and and um, uh, and um, school registration will be driven locally. 
as um, you know, as, as I shared earlier. So, so that continues to be important, uh, an important duty of the school district, but also important for the for the community to hold our school districts accountable. Now, I want to get to the second part of, of what you shared. Um, we, you know, the department, the secretary, I, and the department, we have taken an extremely strong position that school districts should work to provide instruction moving forward for our students. And um, parents should absolutely expect their school district to provide um, instruction moving forward for our students. At the end of the day, we realize that parents have choices, uh, you know, across the Commonwealth. And we want to make ourselves competitive to, to, to ensure that as a, as a traditional public school, my school is the best option for your students. And if you feel that, um, you know, if community members feel that school districts aren't, um, you know, meeting their, their obligation to educate their students, then they should hold their school districts accountable to do so. It's an expectation of the department, it's an expectation of the governor, and an expectation of parents um, that we do our best to provide um, good, strong, continuing education for, for all of our kids across the Commonwealth. And, you know, as a department, we're providing the resources and supports that they need the best we can. And, you know, and, and if, they, if it's because they need something, that's where we're partnering with your local intermediate unit to, to try to, you know, chip away and tackle at that systemic and, and you know, even potential geographic barrier. So, um, you know, there, there should, if they need it, we will work and do whatever we can to provide the resources to those school districts to properly serve our students to be educated moving forward. And parents should hold us and, and their school districts accountable to doing so. Our next question is from Katie Anderson, followed by Maddie Hanna from the Inquirer. Katie, are you on? Yes, I'm on. Katie Anderson with the Observer Reporter in Washington County. Uh, Secretary, kind of going off of that conversation, um, we have school districts over here that are they're doing new material, and it's part of their continuity of education plan, but the grading system is pass-fail for the rest of the year. They felt that that was the most fair way uh, to continue for their students. So I'm wondering if you can, if there's a big difference between having just the enrichment programs and having new material, but have it being graded on a pass-fail basis. So, so Katie, as I, as I shared earlier, um, you know how they grade and, and how they assess and how they weigh um, those decisions are, are uh, you know, our local decisions. However, what I what I would share, knowing many of the programs, um, you know, that you mentioned, it's not so. So these aren't traditional. Just kids do this program, and then I'm going to assess and, and weigh where you are, and you'll pass or fail. Teachers are still engaging with students through these through these um, you know continuity of education plans. So it so it so it's not um, you know like the old style of of online learning where you take a test at the end and and that's it. Teachers are still providing through these you know through the online modules through the courses through the assessments direction and support for students. So although the culminating um, grade might be a pass fail, a whole lot more goes into that process. Um, before the final grade. So I'm sure um, the teacher is in a, in a much better place to assess mastery of content of that student than, than just at the end of the project seeing that it's a pass-fail. So I'm, I'm sure it's much, you know, or I'm confident, I shouldn't say sure, I'm confident that, that it's much more involved in that. Our next question is from Maddie Hanna, followed by uh, Ed up at the Erie Times. Maddie, are you on? Yes. Um, Secretary, you've, 
You've said uh, a few times today, school districts are strongly encouraged to continue providing education. Why hasn't the department required districts to do so, particularly given some of the concerns about the potential for a growing achievement gap? And in terms of the continuity of education plans that districts have been producing, um, I, I think I missed when you mentioned the number of plans the department has received at this point. I'm wondering if you've identified any districts that have insufficient plans or know of districts that are not, do not have plans to continue instruction at this point? Mm-hmm. So, um, so Manny, it's a, it's a, it's a great, good question. And, and I'm sure, um, you know, something just in, in all aspects of government you've been, you've been dealing with out of Philadelphia. I mean, there's, there's a difference between uh, the, the authority we have um, to mandate and the responsibility we have to set the conditions so, so that this happens. So whereas um, we understand um, that I don't have the authority to mandate continuity of, of education um, by law, but what I do have, and it's what I'm absolutely exercising, is setting the conditions and providing the support for continuity of education. So first, by, by you know, following the law and, 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 and making sure school districts submit those continuity of education plans. Secondly, um, that they're posting the continuity of education plan. So, so community members, parents, you know, and, and members of, of the, the, the media like you, um, you know, can, can identify and show what schools and, and school districts are doing. Then what I'm doing as a secretary and, and with my team at the department, we're setting the standard of expectations so that school, so that parents would know exactly what I should expect of my school district. And, and part of, you know, the, 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 you know the, the benefit of this call is, you know, at every step of the way, I'm kind of sharing with you the, the standard and the expectations that we've set for all of our school districts. And so you're going to report out to the general public what the Department of Education expects. The school district's going to, pub- to post on their public um, website what they're providing, and then you're going to come back and say, wait a minute, you know, PBE said X, you're providing Y, it doesn't add up. And then the parents and the community and the business leaders and leaders across the, you know, a- across the Commonwealth are going to hold our system um, of education, um, you know, accountable, which is exactly what should be happening in times like this. Next question I'm, from I'm, Ed yeah. in Erie. No, we're not doing follow-ups. Yeah. Um, I think, no, but I, think I, I think I missed part of it, Eric. I think I missed part of a question. But, but repeat part, part B, the, the part of the question was about continuity of education plans submitted by districts. I, I missed earlier when you mentioned what the number of districts that had submitted plans so far was, and whether you've identified any districts with insufficient plans at this point. So we have um, over 300 school districts submitted plans. Um, there have been um, some districts that we've had the intermediate unit go back to and provide some technical support. And um, I can't say who doesn't have a plan. We just know how many, what districts have not submitted a plan. Next question from Ed into Erie Cox, followed by Pat at Williamsport Sun Gazette. Are you on, Ed? Yes, I'm here. Good morning, Secretary. Go ahead. Um, in terms of the CARES Act funding, Secretary, have you heard anything from the federal government about when that money might be available and any more guidelines as to how that money can be spent? So, so Ed, we've heard, um, so we've not heard when the funding exactly is coming out. Um, we haven't given specific guidance as to, um, you know, how and what parameters. Um, there have been some 
leaks or inklings around they may tie it to some of the you know strategies and processes that have existed in the past. So we're kind of planning scenarios, but as something official, um, which and, and you know if you've been around long enough, Ed, you know in terms of uh, pro- everything in government is a process, and everything of in federal government is the process for the process, and and so um, you know the, the the U.S. Department of Education is is kind of working on um, on that guidance now. We just received the uh, you know an update just saying they, it's not that they forgot about it; they're providing the guidance and have to get a you know kind of the pr- approval of that guidance from. Um, you know, from multiple layers of of, of uh, U.S. government. Okay, thank you. Our next thank question you. is from Pat at the Sun Gazette, followed by Harrison from the PLS Reporter. Are you on, Pat? Yes, I am. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, this, this is another question about delivery of instruction. I know the IUs have been tasked with providing resources, but if there is no access to broadband Internet, and some of the areas around here don't even have good cell service, Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of the districts are still doing the review and enrichment option because they can't provide instruction under FAPE guidelines. Is the administration working with the legislature to try and come up with a solution for this problem? Maybe not for the current crisis, but in the future. Yeah, Pat, great, great question. And um, I'm sure this is one of the governor on the line. He'd, he'd jump right over as well. So, so the quick answer to your question is yes, the governor has been continue to have robust conversation with the General Assembly and he's, and has even put uh, a number of folks on 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 a on a on a group or I don't want to call it a task force. It's a group that's looking at ways to address this issue now during the pandemic and moving forward. At the same time, we at the Department of Education have been given the go ahead by the governor to not wait for the work that they're doing. Um, you know, in the General Assembly and through the administration, and we continue to work with our intermediate units, um, you know, to see where we can, uh, you know, tackle the digital divide. We have, you know, both through the grants and not through our equity grant, we have school districts that are looking at opportunities that create, you know, buying mobile hotspots, buying technology that already has access in it, you know, associated with it, so data plans and, and some of the technology. We've been looking at connecting with other agencies to even try to bring connectivity to, to communities that, um, you know, currently don't have it. So, so this is a real multi-tiered approach. So, number one, um, the governor is looking to, to, to address this currently and in the long term. Number two, we've given the okay to not wait and try to find ways to get technology into the hands of kids and families. And then lastly, in the meantime, um, you know, this is why, where we're utilizing that PBS strategy, you know, the, the, the television um, programming strategy, um, the print, the, the equity grant that we're putting out can be used for print material moving forward um, and getting material into the hands of kids, and um, you know, and you know, even looking at um, providing that that you know, current and future broadband access. So we are working on an immediate response, just getting educational um, opportunities into the hands of kids. And the governor and the general assembly are in really good conversation now, deep conversation now, around um, you know how to how to deal with this issue long term. Our next question is from Harrison at PLS Reporter, and then uh, Nick from NBC10. Harrison, are you on? Yep, I'm here. Uh, my question is: we we already discussed some graduation requirements, but uh, how has has there been any discussions about how the summer sessions are going to be affected? 
So um, right now, as we're looking at summer sessions, and part of the order, I'm sure you have the specifics, so I won't go in there. We, you know, we identify, um, you know, when, you know, schools are closed until the end of that school's calendar year. And then we're, we're, we're also identified the date that schools are closed for 12-month programs, just to ensure clarity. Um, so, so let's say summer comes and the end of the school, the end of the calendar year um, has passed. And the Secretary of Health and the Governor have lifted the, um, uh, you know, the the aggressive social distancing um, mandate, the, the the order. Then schools will be able to provide, um, you know, summer, you know, instruction, um, you know, and enrichment. And we will be looking at supporting them, and in, in, you know, first with focusing on students who might be who may have needs around post secondary or industry certificates or any other certificate they're working on. So we have a plan in place to do that. So if the order's lifted, everything will be back to normal. But, you know, there, 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 there could be a chance that, um, you know, the, the Secretary of Health or the Governor is unable to lift the order based on the data and based on the findings um, of the pandemic. And then in that case, um, we would adhere to the Secretary of Health's guidance. Our next question is from Nick on NBC10. Nick, are you on? Or do we have a reporter from NBC10? Next question, Mark Sims from Radio PA. Are you on? Actually, it's David Payne from Radio PA, but thanks. Uh, Mr. Secretary, uh, this is in terms of job losses. I know that there have been some teacher furloughs, but in other, uh, and you know, Outside of teachers, you know, you have uh, office staffs and maintenance and bus drivers and other school employees. What's your guidance to those who have lost their jobs and, 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 and what's the prospect of any of them getting those jobs back? Yeah, so, so by law and, and you know, order the General Assembly and, and what we communicated out, there should be no job loss in school districts as a result um, of COVID-19, as a result of the pandemic. And, and so that has been, um, you know, that that has been uh, legislative mandate. So, so you know, again, just to be clear, the legislative mandate is no job loss as a result uh, of of this pandemic of COVID-19. Now, um, that you know would not impact decisions that have been made at at you know at the local level for any other myriad of issues. However, um, you know what we've what we've announced and the guidance we're giving to school districts, um, supported by the General Assembly and the Governor, is that there should be no job loss by you know as a result of COVID-19. Now there are as there are individuals across the you know across the Commonwealth. If, if there's been um, you know job loss, I know DHS, uh, um, um, LNI, or other agencies have provided guidance for for anyone that's in need of support, and you know much of that is available online. All right, everyone, that's our last question for today. Thank you for joining us. We will make a copy of the, the audio available to you a little bit later. Thank you again for joining us. Hey, thank you, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.